This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. This is Bird Shooter, and this evening in episode 37, we uh, continue our conversation with 30 Pack. In the second hour of our interview, we discuss his summer rim-to-rim hike and resulting hallucinations in the Grand Canyon. Uh, We talk about ultra-marathons, working with troubled teens, living out of his car for two and a half years. And then 30 tells us some of the craziest things that happened to him during his uh, post-Appalachian and Pacific Crest Trail through hikes, including hiking with Navajo Indians to uh, cliff dwellings and hearing and seeing ghosts on the trail. That said, a quick shout-out to BackCountryNinjas.com, and here's the show. So 30, to continue the conversation... um, 2015, catch me up here. So this is post uh, Pacific Crest Trail. You're in Seattle, and uh, you just finished a marathon. Tell me about your first marathon. First of all, you come off the Pacific Crest Trail. You have to be in phenomenal shape. True? Oh, you – I don't want to brag, but no, my calf muscles are are pretty, pretty damn strong. Hey, but let me ask you, man, because when, when I got off the Appalachian Trail after hiking for six months, I um, went for a run like three miles, and it was only a couple days after I finished the Appalachian Trail. And, I mean, I hurt, actually. It seems like they were totally different muscles that I was using. I mean, did you did you have that experience at all? Um, it was totally different. My first run, I didn't ran in years. I didn't ran like run run in a I don't know a long time and I went for my first run and I ended up accidentally doing a half marathon so <laughs> you you accidentally did a half marathon <laughs> yeah I just like I just wanted to run a few miles and I was feeling good so I kept going and I mean it took me over two it was like two and a half hours almost three hours but yeah I ended up running like 13 and a half miles and so I was like, "Oh, I think I'm I'm ready for a marathon." Yeah, I, I think I only did about ten runs before the Seattle Marathon. It, so- it sounds like you had a Forrest Gump moment there. Yeah, <laughs> you started running, you couldn't stop. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I love I I love I love running. I love just that feeling. You almost have this out of the body feeling when you're. I get it when I'm. Hiking, I like hiking big miles, 30-mile days. I like running, you know, 10 10 miles. And I like biking 30, 40, 50 miles. And there's just, there's such a, you just feel so, so much strength in yourself and, and so much, you just feel good about who you are in that moment. And I love that. Yeah, I thought I saw in there somewhere, and I guess this would have been early 2015, that you went down to the Grand Canyon and you did like 48 miles in 16 hours, rim to rim. Do I have that right? You do have that right. Yeah, oh, that was epic. You want to hear the story how that all happened? 
Yeah, now, first of all, what time of year was that? Was it when it was cold, or was it spring, winter? I'm that sure you at, didn't do it in the summer. Yeah, we did in the summer. It was the stupidest time. You did. To you do did. It. You went. You did that in the summer. Oh, it was. It was. The timing was ridiculous. We did it in. Uh, gosh, it must have been. It might have been July, or August. Oh my God, you got to be kidding me! I, I figured you did it in the spring or the or the winter. That must have been torture. Oh, it was a what well, was a a fluke that it even happened. So what happened was, I went down to the Grand Canyon. So I was working fifteen day shifts where I worked fifteen day with the fifteen days with the kids, and then I got fifteen days off. And so I go to the Grand Canyon. I get a permit to hike rim to rim to rim, which is about forty eight miles. And the guy looks at me and he goes like, "You shouldn't be doing this." It's, not the right time to do it. And I was like, <laughs> all right. At this at this point, you know, I've I've hiked roughly seven, eight thousand miles. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go for it. So I was just doing rim to rim, and then the next day I was doing it two days, and then going rim to rim the next day. And so I do that, and I get super dehydrated. Um, I actually got like where you wash out all the salt in your system and you pretty yeah. much feel feel like you're dying um, right i forget what it's called I mean, you you can't you can die from that actually oh I, yeah i forget the name for it but uh i know exactly what you're talking about like you, yeah. you definitely can die from that it's i think it's hyponatremia and so well i was so when i the first time i did it which i did it in two days i wake up on the north rim and it's like 20-something degrees out. It's cold. I get down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon where the Colorado is. It's 110 degrees. So I'm like slamming liters of water because I'm sweating so much. I'm like, oh, this is what I need to do. And I drank too much water where it depleted like all the salt out of my system, which is, yeah, very dangerous. And I was... Oh, it was miserable. I threw up, and I was hiking like 100, 200 yards, and then I'd take a break. And I like, I didn't think I could make it back up the south rim, but I had to. And so luckily I did, and the next day I, I drank a bunch of water and ate a bunch of like town food from um, <laughs> south, south rim. They, south rim, they have a bunch of restaurants and stuff. You, you, and, ba- you basically went and got yourself a salt lick is what you did. Exactly, exactly. And so I've, so, I've wait, you I've, were solo. You didn't even have anybody with you when you did this. Forty-eight miles, sixteen no, hours. The the first time, the first, so that was my first time. I did it in two days, and then no, I'm telling you the story. So I so I do it in two days, and then I meet this lady um, named Suzanne that was doing it in a day, and I was like, holy cow, like that's so epic. And she was like, oh, you could do it too, and and we finish up my second day doing it and so I, I get back to Utah right this was all in one week I get back to Utah and my buddy his name's Slow Mo Joe I meet up with him and, and we go out we always go to karaoke night we go out to karaoke night and we drink a few few beers and I was like dude I think we could do this in a day and he's like dude let's do it and I'm like alright yeah. when and so we just do it the next day so we drive we drive a few hours to get back to the north rim and then we end up just going for it. So I did rim to rim to rim 
twice in one week. And, oh, it was crazy. To be, to be honest, it wasn't, um, it wasn't that hard until the last one and a half miles was probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. So we did about 46 <laughs> miles. And then that last mile and a half, it was dark out. And we didn't tell each other this, but both of us started hallucinating. And so I saw, like, all the stars in the sky. It was like the world was spinning really fast, and so the stars were falling. And I was like, I can't look up. I can't look up. But I didn't want to say it out loud. I didn't want to freak him out. And he's seeing rabbits running across the trail that weren't there. And so when we got finished, I was like, dude. And he's like, dude. And we, we both had hallucinations. But it was such a cool it was such a cool experience to just really push your body to, I mean, that was close to probably as far as I could push it safely. You know, I've got a race for you, 30. It's called the Barkley marathon in Tennessee. You've you've heard of this race, right? I have, I have. Yep. <laughs> Do I need to start lobbying to get you, uh, to get you in the race? Oh, I, I think I, I, I'd like to give it a shot. I'd like to give it a shot. It's such a, Epic race. I have a, I had a friend, um, Narish, that went for it. He didn't totally make it. That's there's only been like less than a dozen people I think that have finished it, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, some. I mean, you have to be really tough to finish that race. But uh, yeah, you know, they take a sacrificial lamb every year. I'm not sure that would be you because. <laughs> Based on your track record here, you've uh, you've delivered. But um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I really hope to get a interview on the Barkley. Actually, I was going to reach out to Flying Brian. You've you've heard of Flying Brian Robinson? No, I haven't. He was the the first guy to do the uh, Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific oh. Crest Trail in a single year. You know, like oh, wow. set the record within like ten months, right? But then he went on to do the Barkley. And he had the record on the Barkley for a couple of years. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and for the listeners, the Barkley is this insane 100-plus-mile race in Tennessee that goes underneath a prison and um, is nonstop. So you're basically hiking 120 miles in 60 hours. I think that's the cap. you got to finish before then. Yeah, and I, don't but, really uh, think, I think some of us not even on the trail. Yeah. it's it, it, Anybody that's listening, if you haven't, seen the uh documentary on netflix it's fantastic so have you seen the netflix documentary on that i have i have yeah my uh my friend narish he's in that um oh, that's right you were saying that okay yeah yeah super yeah it's that's probably the most badass marathon there is in the world i don't know 30 you're kind of selling me on the thought that you uh, might be a contender that maybe oh. they uh, should be reaching out to you. Oh, I I, I imagine I'll be a, a contender. Yeah, I've been, after doing rim to rim to rim in a day, I've been really, really thinking about a lot of different 40-plus. Um, I really want to do a 100-plus, or like a 100-mile race, not 100-plus, but a 100-mile race. So, yeah, it's in, it's in the cooks. It's in the cooks. A lot of it is, like, so mental. I mean, of course, you have to be in good physical shape. You have to – endurance is a big thing. And, like, when I train for a marathon, I do 
I'd want to say close to 50% of my training I do on my bike for running, which is just pedaling for four hours straight. And then I run and I kind of intermix them together. But so much of it is just in your head. When you hit that breaking point, somehow, if you keep pushing it, you get like this big second wind, which is crazy. And it, it takes a lot of miles to find that. Yeah, through hiking's good training. It makes you mentally tough. You know, you oh, don't finish sure. through hike by being physically tough. You got to be mentally tough. But I, but I got to tell you, I've I've got no interest in that kind of physical torture <laughs> at my age right now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It anyway. is it is torture. That's what it is. But no, you're 100 percent right. It's all so much of really everything in life is is mental. You know. Yeah. No. True. Hey, so to shift gears on you for a second, let, let's talk about, because, um, you know, as much as you like to physically torture yourself in the wilderness, um, you've got, you, you've, you got involved with a group that was trying to do some good with, uh, troubled teens. And I know, I know you went to Utah, I think it was what, in the summer of 2015 to do that. Do you want to talk about that experience for a minute? Yeah. And, I'd and love how, to. more importantly, how did you get interested in that? So, oh, that's, I could write a book about it, but when I was a teenager, I, when I was probably about eighth grade summer, I started smoking pot and, you know, steal 20 bucks out of my dad's wallet and get some beer. And so I started drinking and smoking and skipping school and getting bad grades. And so my parents sent me to a wilderness therapy program down in uh, I went to one in Georgia and one in West Virginia and very different experiences at both. But it was my first, like other than the boy scouts going on an overnight camping trip, it was my first, like, like I spent 30 days out in the woods at one of them and spent about 60 at the other. And it was my first being in the woods experience. And the one program that I went to down in Georgia wasn't a very good program. Some of the, just some of the things they did were not normal. And so when I was up in Seattle, I wanted to start a new mission and hopefully give back and, and tell some of my stories because I went through, I was raised in a beautiful family, but I put myself through a lot of pain and, and bolt and, uh, suffering that I didn't need to go through. And so I, you know, I went to jail for having marijuana in my car and got a DUI when I was 18. And so I've been in and out of jail for a few years. And so I thought I could help kids go through what they're going through, but help them stop before it got too bad, where they ended up how I was when I was 13 to, to 22 because I got in a, a ton of trouble and I had bad relationships with my family and with friends and all these issues. And so I wanted to hopefully help one or two kids out and stop, you know, that staircase, that tornado that they're going into. And so that was my, my goal. And so I applied for a few jobs down in Utah and I 
somehow I, I applied for four jobs and I got all four of them. So then I like did some research on which one I really wanted to work for. And I ended up going down to uh, Kanab, Utah, which is pretty close to Zion and, and close to Lake Powell and working for a company called Wingate. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, that's got to be a tough job, right? You're dealing with tough kids. These are not kids that um, you know. And I'm not saying that all Boy Scouts are toting the line, but I got to believe in this position, it's much harder than being a Scoutmaster, right? You've got uh, kids that maybe don't want to be there. Um, I mean, every every kid doesn't want to be there. Yeah, tell us about the job, man. I mean, it's got to be hard. It was. It was such a a rewarding job for for myself. I I loved I loved the job and I'd go back to it in, in a heartbeat. Um yeah, for for the kids, the hardest day for them was the day they got there and the day that they left. So the kids would be there for about 3 months out in the woods. So no technology nothing they don't get to talk to their parents only through letters and they do therapy once a week and we do what we call wind speaks every night um it'd be it'd be amazing because the kids would come there and they'd hate it some kids would try to run away or do this and that and then in the end they're like i love it here i don't want to leave um but it was so so rewarding i really felt like I made an impact and, and really helped helped out some teenagers. So I'm working with kids that are 13 to 17, and they were there for anything from um, suicide attempts to doing meth um, or shooting heroin, um, depression, anxiety. Um, sometimes it was masturbation issues self-harm, eating disorders, um, or even just disrespecting their parents. And so you had a whole range of, of different kids that I worked with. And it was really cool when you have these moments where we'd have a talk around the fire each night, and it was called a wind speak. So we had like a cool little intro to it. Everything was primitive-based, so we started all our fires with a bow drill, which is you have a bow, like a bow and arrow, and then you have a spindle and then a fireboard, and you make your own fire with sticks. And we have these wind speaks every night around the fire. And it was so touching when you, you'd have a group of 17-year-old boys that thought they were the toughest kid in school, and they're crying, and, and they want to change, and, and they start to dream, and they start to get goals in their life, and focus on other things than getting high or getting drunk every night and they want to be productive and make a future for themselves and I I loved that job and I worked with so many kids and you know I still keep in contact with some of the kids they send send me emails and I have a few kids that I write letters to and it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life uh, for sure yeah I mean with good reason um, I mean, do most of these kids just go for one year and they're done, or do they come back, or do they come back as counselors? Like, what what happens after they go through the program? Um, most of them typically go to like a boarding school, 
a high percentage of them, you know, eight out of 10 of them go to a boarding school or go to some future place that can continue to help them where they don't go back to their home environment. And there are a bunch of, um, a bunch of students that went there that come back and be counselors later on in time. I think you have to be 19 years old. So, you know, some of them, it, it takes a few years, but they, it's amazing seeing these transformations of young girls and boys. I worked a ton with boys, and then for a long time I worked with um, adolescent girls. And I loved working with the girls. It was, it was such a funny mix-up because you'd have the boys where somebody stole something. So it might sound crazy to people, but out in the woods with these kids, brown sugar was like gold. And so <laughs> if you took someone's brown sugar, the boys would want to fight whoever took it. And then when I worked with the girls, they'd want to talk about it. <laughs> like, how can we fix this? And so it was such a, it was such a, you know, neat working with the boys and the girls because they're obviously so different. But, oh, you meet, you meet some really, really cool kids that just like myself got off track a little bit. And you see these transformations where some of them might go back to drugs and all that. And a lot of what I tried to teach them was to love themselves and love the world around them and, and be respectful and, and be kind to people. And I really just want to teach them to be positive through everything and teach them about how you only have control over your own actions and your own reactions. You don't have control over other people and hug trees and hug strangers and make people smile and explore the world and do what makes you happy and spread love. It's, it's, it's very important. So I, a lot of what I taught them was, was hippie stuff. And I think it worked pretty well. Yeah. I mean, that's actually great advice for anybody. I mean, certainly not necessarily just a young kid in the wilderness. Right. 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 Yeah. So um, no, that, I I loved that job, Berkshire. That was it was it was amazing. And the location we worked in the uh, in the Grand Staircase, Escalante uh, National Forest, and it's a national monument. So the scenery for these kids was beautiful. I mean, sometimes we could see Bryce Canyon off in the distance, and we're hiking through canyons, and it, it was amazing. You're seeing hawks all the time, and we'd see some elk and. It's a beautiful place I mean, it, for these kids. It's ongoing, though. I mean, it's not. It what? I mean, you've done this multiple years, right? I did it for about a year and a half. Okay. Now, are you going back, or have you know? It's you're not sure yet. Oh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm still contemplating a lot. What? What's next, bird shooter? It's. It's so hard to. <laughs> Aren't we like, all? What's next in life, man? Right. You know? It's hard to nail down something. You know, I want to play, but I've been thinking a lot about going back to college and getting a degree in wildlife biology so I can be a park ranger. Yeah, well, with good reason, man. I can understand the draw there. So um, I'm just trying to think, after your your Utah experience with the kids, then you go on another mega road trip, right? 
And I, th- I think I read somewhere that you hit like seven national parks. You did it under 10,000 miles on the Subaru. Do I have that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so after I finished up um, that job in Utah, I went, well, I went down to Tennessee to visit my, my girlfriend. And then I went, it was my dad's birthday. And so I went and I visited my friend Gumby in uh, oh, you know Gumby. She was there at that at, at uh, Whitley Gap Shelter. Whitley Gap Shelter. Yeah. The moment yeah. that I first met you. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that was such a night. But so I went and I visited her in, in Crossville, Tennessee. And so my dad calls me and he goes, hey, you know, just checking up. Where are you? What are you doing? I said, hey, I'm I'm driving through Albuquerque. I'm trying to get out of the city, and I'm going to go camping with a friend for the night. He's like, all right, great. And we, we just have a brief talk. I told him I'd call him back tomorrow. What he doesn't know is that I'm 10 minutes away from the bar that he's at, that he a bunch of his friends threw him a little party at this bar where back in, in Virginia where I live. And so all of a sudden, oh, he looked like he saw a ghost. I, he thinks I'm in. He <laughs> thinks awesome. I'm in New Mexico, and it's his birthday, and I curved the corner of the bar, and uh, it was super cool. And so that kind of started that road trip, and yeah, yeah travel. I, think I saw that. I saw that on Facebook as well. I remember that your Facebook is. Uh, that's definitely the well the way to keep track of you, man. Yeah, that's probably the only way. <laughs> yeah. Wait, did I see that you rang in the New Year somewhere like really cool, like on the trail, or am I? Is my recollection not good on that? No, I rang I rang in the New Year at uh, Alta and Snowbirds. I was skiing with my family in oh, okay. U- in Utah. So yeah, it wasn't in the backcountry, but it was out in the mountains. Yeah, that's a cool place too. That's awesome. Oh, it was great. It was great. But yeah, I've been to. Geez, I look at the map sometimes of all the national parks, and I've almost been to every national park. Aside from Alaska, yeah, which is a statement because there's there's a ton of national parks. You know, it would take you some time to hit them all. Oh yeah, oh would. I mean, is is Alaska on your radar? Yes, I'm saving it though. I'm saving it because that's. Oh. I think I can. I think if I go there, I'm I'm probably going to move there. Man, so. that is a that is an incredible state. That's all I got to say. Yeah, it is I'm, awesome. I, I really want to go there. I've been, well, I, it's a, a trip for the future. I, I think it'd be super groovy to ride a bike from Washington to Alaska. <laughs> you know, actually, I've I've read that it's been done a few times. So you you definitely have some people that you could reference for some advice. But that that would be a pretty epic journey because i've heard whatever that dawsonville highway is uh, it's not the easiest place to take a bike i think yeah it's like over it's like six thousand miles something like that yeah yeah it's pretty far so i mean 2016 you've spent a fair amount of time living in your car right yeah well from let's see from about february of 2015 i bought a Subaru, which I named Beluga, the big blue whale, because she's blue. <laughs> right. And 
Yeah, so I've been living and traveling out of my car for since then. So about 16 months, 18 months. Yeah, so I mean, I've spent three months at a time living out of my car, and I'm just kind of curious, and I'm sure the listeners are kind of curious to get your, you know, your, um, you know, just experience living out of a car, because it, it's kind of cool, right? You're mobile, you can see different things every day. Oh, yeah, I I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm, I'm getting ready to settle back down here um, in Seattle. And I think it just came to an end where it was like, oh, it's time to like have a bed again. But the last year and a half has been so remarkable because you can go any direction every day. And I think I put a little over 60,000 miles on the Subaru in that year and a half and probably hiked over 2,000 miles and including the John Muir Trail a couple times and the Wonderland Trail and Rim to Rim and on the Appalachian Trail. And, oh, yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. I think if I were to do it again, I would have got a van that I could throw a mattress in. When you said that, you just totally triggered something. When when you get a chance, there's a uh, um, a show that you can see for free on YouTube. It's okay. called Dis- Distant North. And... uh the trail is called the Klung Sledden, if I didn't say that incorrectly, but it's a uh, it's a trail in the Arctic of Sweden. Um, there's a couple that has hiked that trail, and they live out of a van and have lived out of a van for multiple years. But it's um, it, it's a great movie, and it it really sings the praises of uh, living out of your vehicle for multiple periods of time, right? Hoping to get a podcast interview with them soon, but uh, if you get a chance, that's a great show. Yeah, I know. I'll definitely check that out. That sounds great. I love watching like little movies and documentaries about people that have the same aspirations that I do. Yeah, and they definitely do. I think they're both English, but yeah, they would they would fit in well with uh, people you and I know. So, uh, what what um, I mean. Outside of the U.S., have you kind of toyed with any international destinations? Oh, no, not yet. Not yet. I've been to Bermuda and Canada, so I've been all on North America. I, I really want to go to New Zealand is is a big goal, but I'm, sca- I'm so scared to fly on a plane, which makes it very difficult to go <laughs> other places. And it's funny because... My grandfather was a pilot for Delta. My and it was a pilot World War II and the Korean War um, with the Air Force. And my mom's a flight attendant for American Airlines. And I just I hate flying. I, I I'll fly to for a woman and for a funeral, and that's about it. <laughs> well, you know they do have boats. You I know. Catch a cruise somewhere. I looked I looked at taking a boat to New Zealand. It takes like five weeks or something. Oh yeah, that's probably true. It is pretty much a long way across the uh, Pacific there. No, um, it, it, it will come. It will come. I just, I'm not sure when. Yeah, I mean, so God, thirty pack since the last time we talked, two and a half years. I mean, you've had a, a I mean, mo- most adventure, more adventure than most people get in a lifetime, right? What, what's the craziest thing that had happened to you in the last two and a half years since you got off the Pacific Crest Trail? 
the craziest thing. Oh, wow. Um, you know, one of the craziest things was probably getting stuck in quicksand. And I, okay. like, I was walking in this. Here, I'll throw you out a little secret spot. And it's called the Perea Canyon. Okay. And you, you can hike the Perea Canyon. You can hike starting at 89, which is out Route 89 out of Kanab. You can hike the Wait, Perea. This is, uh, this is Utah, it sounds like. Utah, is that right? yep. Yeah. Okay. You can hike the Perea, which you don't want to call the Perea, because that means there's an H on the end. So locals will know that you're talking about something weird. But you can hike the Perea, and you can hike all the way through this canyon all the way up to Bryce Canyon and then all the way back. And it's an epic hike where I, I hiked it. It's about uh, about 50 miles to get to Bryce. And we didn't see one backpacker. We saw a couple of people on horses and that's it. And I got, I took one step. You wouldn't believe it. There was a flash flood the night before. So we had to like, run out of this canyon we had to run for like two miles because the river it's a very small river but it swelled up probably 10 10 15 times bigger than it is so we're running and we had to climb this hill it was like a kind of a panic moment and the next day it's sunny and we're hiking along the river so we just follow the river and you're crossing it left and right so you're getting wet and i take one step and i fall above my waist belt on my backpack in the quicksand and I cannot move and I look at my buddy and I'm laughing I, I always laugh at like awkward moments and I'm like Joe 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 I was like this is not a test <laughs> this is not a test help me out and so he gives me that good like you know pull out that you do on the on the basketball court just helping your friend out and I didn't budge and he had to like drag me out of this quicksand so that was a, a pretty intense moment. And, oh, yeah. that that rattlesnake was, was pretty scary. And I've definitely hey, so, had some... So in, so in Utah, i got to ask you, because some of your pictures, you had these ladders going back to these what looked to be ancient Indian places um, in some really cool secret canyons. There, there has to be some, uh, you know, some places you could recommend or maybe you want to keep them top secret but uh you you want to share some of those experiences with us oh the uh yeah you're that that picture's from the hanging ladders trail which is i don't think you could look that up but that's from a place in arizona it's called canyon de shay which is spelled like shelly c-h-e-l-l-y and we got there and so you're on um, Navajo land, so it's all tribal land, and there's only one place that you are legally allowed to hike in the canyon. The rest of the canyon is all Navajo Nation, so the only way that you can go down in there is with Navajo guides, which can be very expensive. And so we pull up to this one overlook, and we meet these two really cool guys, probably early 20s, named Kendrick and Chris, and we're, like, talking to them, and they just got back from hiking the Hanging Ladders Trail, which is, like, an ancient Native American trail. 
And so I get Kendrick's number, and, and we give him a call later, and we're like, dude, is there any way like you could take us on a tour? And we only had to give him 20 bucks, where most of the tours are like 200 bucks. Yeah, and he, he, he takes deal. Us, he takes us down like this ancient trail. Like we, I don't know how to really describe it, but we pretty much just went through the woods on no trail and some snow for like a mile or so and then go down these really janky old ladders. But you could see where Native Americans, you know, 500, 1,000 years ago, they chiseled these little holes, like these little handholds, into these walls where, thank God, there was modern, kind of modern, like wooden ladders there now. Because it was like, I would never go down this if there wasn't these ladders. So they took us down there. And it was so crazy. It's kind of one of those moments where, like, someone tells you, oh, I've heard voices, you know, and you're like, oh, you're crazy. And we're standing next to this uh, probably thousand-year-old, um, it's like an old house, that's, and there's a fence around it. And we hear these children laughing. Yeah. And I look at my buddy, and I'm like, do you hear that? And he's like, yeah. And it was like so far out. And then we heard like some chanting, some native chanting. And there was no one there. And it was crazy. It was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. It was also one of like the scariest moments. Like going down this ladder, it was like a 90 degree ladder on like a 200 foot cliff. So it was like, oh, if you make one false move, you're, you're done for sure. Are you are you sure there wasn't some peyote involved in that? There, uh, that, that sounds interesting. <laughs> no, there's there's no peyote involved there. <laughs> I'll tell you the pictures from that were were pretty awesome. So uh, yeah, I mean that's why I asked you about it because I'd seen them. Oh, it was uh, it was oh, that was one of my favorite favorite hikes ever, and it was just so cool to be with two um, Navajos that had. Uh, you know, their family tree went went back hundreds and hundreds of years. And just to have them take us on this tour. And so the native, the Navajos, they won't go into a cliff dwelling. So mm-hmm. they, sh- they showed us like an ancient cliff dwelling. And we walk up to it and they, they're like 30 feet away. And they're like, oh, you guys can go in there, but we can't. And so I was like, I, I didn't understand, but it's kind of like, for them, it's such sacred. a sacred. Yeah, it's very yeah. sacred. And so the one guy Kendrick that that led the hike, he when he was younger, he went into one of these cliff dwellings and he took a piece of pottery, and he took it back and he like put it in a shoebox or something in his room. He goes down to the medicine man in his town. The town's called Chinley. He goes to the medicine man because they go there like once a month. And he goes to the medicine man, and the medicine man looks at him, tells him that he's cursed. And Ugh. he's like, what do you mean that's I'm you, cursed? That's not what you want to hear. Yeah, and he's like, what do you mean I'm cursed? And he says, I can see a, like a pretty much a ghost native with you. And he's like, you need to put whatever you took back. And so he took the piece of pottery out of his room and put it back. And so it was crazy. It's like there's a lot of spiritual stuff down there that 
I really got into a lot of the Native American history down through the Southwest. It's it's everywhere, and it's it's really cool, really cool stuff. Yeah, you seem like you traveled it very well, and I, I agree. There's some God. There's there's just so much in that whole southwestern area. Oh, so yeah. I mean, dude, what? Speaking of spirituality, what's next for Thirty Pack? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think uh, well, there's always an adventure, you know, on the on the brink. I think I think <laughs> I'm gonna focus on school for a little bit, and then maybe hike the Arizona Trail or the Hey Duke Trail next summer. Yeah. It's it's always good to have an adventure on the brink. That's that's what keeps you healthy. Yeah, yeah. So but it doesn't 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 hurt to get educated either. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm I'm really torn because I wanted to hike the CDT for a few years, and then I'm always like, whenever I talk to people, I'm like, just drop everything and do it, and just go out there, have no expectations, and live. And now I'm kind of at a point where it's like. I know that, so like I know I can go out and just do it, but I also want to, you know, focus on a stable future, you know, focus on backcountry ninjas and finish up my degree so I can be a park ranger. Yeah, yeah, well, let's talk about backcountry ninjas, because I was thinking that'd be a good way to kind of close the show out here, so how's it going? How can people find you? Um are, are, you had some ambassadors for a while. You want to talk about that program? Oh, yeah. It's been great. It's been great. So Backcountry Ninjas was started um, out of the Subaru in 2014, and we raised money <laughs> for all like three. Like all true int- entrepreneurial adventures, you know? Oh, yeah. Started, yeah. started in your yeah, garage or at the back of your car. Yeah. And, yeah, truly grassroots. And, yeah, we started selling shirts out of the car, and they got a little bigger, and, we raised money for all three big trails, the PCT, AT, and the CDT, and uh, donate 1% to For Love of Children, who I raised um, $10,000 for when I hiked the, the PCT. And, yeah, we got some groovy T-shirts, and our motto is climb high, dream big, and, yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, backcountryninjas.com, and we got some cool stuff for hikers. Yeah, and so I thought I saw you got into like puffy jackets and backpacks. Is that is that actually happening? Because that sounds pretty complex. That's yes, that's that's in the works. That's in wow. the works. Wow. Yeah, so that's a, that's a big uh, that's a big step. Yeah, know? we're I'm I'm hoping to make make a lot of we got a lot of cool new hats coming out around Christmas time, which will be really cool. And yeah, I want to expand into making puffy jackets and, and backpacks are, are the two next big things, but I want them to be American made and I want them to be good quality. So it's going to take some time to get there. And that's backcountryninjas.com, correct? Correct. Yeah. And just trying to get you a little love cause you've been spreading some love here. Um, oh, hey, just out of curiosity, what, what is your best selling t-shirt? Oh, Probably the I eat mountains for breakfast is definitely the, <laughs> and that one's just such a classic. So that's definitely one of the best sellers. And we just came out with that 
cool new Hang Loose one, which has been selling really well, too. Okay, cool. But, awesome. yeah, we're in Japan now, which is pretty exciting. Really? Huh. International expansion. There you go. There you go. Yeah, some some guy found me on Instagram and was like, I love to buy some T-shirts, and it ended up working out. So we've been selling a bunch of, a bunch of backcountry ninjas. They like the backcountry ninja shirt and the hike your own hike in Japan. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a big hit over there. Huh, that's cool. So, um, I mean, other than the backcountry ninjas site, anyone that wants to follow 30-pack, learn more about you, where where should they go? Oh, probably backcountry ninjas on Instagram or Facebook. I do I do a lot of my posting on Instagram. Okay. Cool. Is what I prefer. Excellent. Well, I mean, it's it's made it easy for me to follow you, and you know, you you uh, I have to say, you you're leading a way more exciting life than me right now. So, uh, kudos to you, and thanks for uh, thanks for being on the show because I've been dying to talk to you since we last spoke, like two and a half years ago. It's great to have <laughs> you back, Thirty. Yeah, no, it's great to catch up with you, and oh, it's I've just been. I've been so blessed by really it all it all started on a rainy day and I just got wet and I was like I'm going to go hike the Appalachian Trail and that opened a, a huge door for me where I didn't know this life and there's so much to see out there and until you go see it you don't even know it's there and I think it's important that we all keep exploring new avenues until we find what our passion is and then we continue that passion and I've been lucky enough to find what I enjoy doing which is giving back to others and making people smile and you know hiking and backpacking and running and biking and if we don't try new things we're never going to know if we like those things yeah I mean if there's no other takeaway from this show I think the message is it's out there it's waiting for you go get it Right. That's right. That's right. I mean, That's right. you know, you you can get sucked into the daily commute to a job, to a mortgage, to a lot of things, but there's a whole other world out there, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, our listeners are hearing that. So, yeah. hey, man, thanks. Can, uh, thanks for sharing the love. Can I can I drop one little saying before uh, we sign off? Absolutely. I just like to say to anyone that's listening, to be brave, love with all your heart, be compassionate to others. Remember that all you have is the moment you're in now and make those moments that you want to be this moment and make your future the best that you can. Go places, be awkward, do cartwheels, be weird, make silly faces, play outside, build a fort, climb a mountain, hike in the rain, dive in the snow, cry, dance with a stranger, make people feel special, help others, take the long way home, hug a tree, laugh like a child, and let the wind knock you down and stay positive and smile through everything. Well well stated, my friend. 30, I uh, I hope I'm going to see you again soon. It's been a while, but yeah, it's been too I'd long. Yeah, I love that. I'd love that. Yeah, we'll have to map something out next time I'm back east. Please do. Thanks for being on the show, bud. Oh, I appreciate it. Good to catch up with you again, BD. Hey, always a pleasure. I hope we can have you back again. 
Oh, more adventures await, that's for sure. That that I believe. <laughs> Thanks, Dirty. All right, take care, Bird Shooter. All right, bro. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures, Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2Backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com. <laughs>